Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dabber Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals, Dan, 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 they don't count. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree. Well, everybody, welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Huzzah, Dan. Today on the show, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 47, Legacy Issue number 848. Oh, I'm sensing milestones in in our future, Dan, on on two fronts. (laughs) This one, of course, though, was written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Roberto Paggi, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Joe Caramanga, and a cover by Casanovas. That is a lot of credits, let me tell you. (laughs) This is... She was first released on August 26, 2020. What's Now, Mark, before we get into this episode proper, I did want to kind of like put a call out there. You know, we've got you mentioned the kind of like big centennials or whatever you want to say coming up it's issue 50 it's not quite a centennial but you know they're going to milk us for it they did for the 25th issue you know it's going to be kind of a double one right and we've kind of long suspected they would try to double dip on us here we've got issue 49 which will be issue 850 technically and issue 50 which is 851 but it's still an issue 50 so they get the double whammy i'm sure they wish they could have spaced them out a little bit more so that they didn't feel like quite a glut right back to back. But, you know, I think, Mark, we've been suspecting this for a long time and we have no confirmation of this. But we're assuming in one of those two issues, we will learn the identity of Kindred. Is that a fair assumption we think at this point i mean it's possible or you know we might find out that you know in 850 that we will find out kindred's identity in another 50 issues i mean you just don't know anymore man 2020 and nick spencer who knows but yeah i think i think we are we are closing in on on the great reveal right so so let me guess you you want to throw this to our our listeners huh I do. Yes. I, I, you know, I think it's time for us all to put our money where our mouth is or whatever the phrase is and just like put it all on the table. Our guesses as to who Kindred is to see if anybody can get it. Now, it's probably going to be something way out of left field that you could never guess. Right. But I want to see if anyone in our community can come close to it. Right. I'm sticking to my guns about 
you know, who I think it is from issue one. And Mark, I don't even know what you are. You will lay your, your chips, but I think that's what we're going to do. So, you know, if you want to write in to us, you know, we'll read your emails and hold on to them. If you want to send us an MP3 audio clip of you, you know, putting your you know voice to what you think it is, or you want to call nine red goblin and leave us a voicemail message. We kind of want to hear who you guys think Kindred is. I'm going to assemble it into a Kindred final guess episode where Mark and I are going to talk about our final guesses and we'll release it. And then, you know what? Our stuff is out there and we'll be held accountable for what we say. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun and maybe we'll have a big prize or something like that uh, associated with it. I haven't decided yet, but... I think it's going to be a lot of fun either way. That sounds like a lot of fun, Dan. So I, so I guess I'll withhold my final, final guess until we do that episode, right? Yeah, yeah. And even I, I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot and tweaking exactly what I think it is. You know, we'll see how precise we can get with it. Well, it's bound, I think, to be something rather strange from, uh, from Nick Spencer if, if history is to be believed. So, yeah, so that's coming up. So I would say like in the next, you know, two or three weeks, you know, we've got what, two more issues. So I guess around the time of issue 48 coming out, try to get your guesses in because like issue 48 will, you know, if it has any information or clues about Kindred, that's the last we're getting before 49. But if you send something in like, you know, too late after 48, we're not going to be able to include it. But obviously if it's an email, hold on to it until 49 is released and then I'll review everything and see who are crowning the winner. And Mark, you and I are just two guys. We don't have any kind of foreknowledge about Kindred or anything like that. Mark is shaking his head with a dumbstruck look on his face like, yeah, we are just two guys. I was going to say, I would not literally be podcasting in my basement if I had any kind of pull or sway or insider knowledge here you know what i mean like i am i am living the stereotype right now <laughs> are you are you suggesting that the having knowledge of who kindred is is somehow your ticket out of uh, uh suburban life i don't know i mean that's a good point <laughs> what am i saying why don't we why don't we talk about 47 before we we analyze there, there's my life money choices. in them their kindred yeah i mean rather than have me deep dive too much into my life choices here why don't why don't we talk about some some new comics here. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So issue 47, also known as 848. We got the, what, part three of Sins Rising. I don't know, Mark. I mean, I think, what What do you want to say well, about this Well, I was going to say, like, I, I, I feel like I got to start us off by saying, surprise, surprise, the way things ended last issue with us thinking Nora, Nora. Winters? Winters. Like, I almost called her Nora Jones, and I was like, no, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way things ended with Nora Winters, she's not dead, Dan. So let's just spoil that right now. She did not get killed by the Sin Eater, as we were led to believe. Similar to how we thought Betty Brant was going to get killed in the original Sin Eater story. It's like, it's almost like history is repeating itself. Can you believe it? Yeah, and I was I was happy to have guessed this one, right? That I, I think my guess was that she fired back, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And you know, I, I don't think we're quite at like I think someone is likely to die in this story, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Although I guess if you're going off the death of Gene DeWolf, the death was kind of like straight up front at the very beginning of that story. But yeah, Sonora, you know, very clearly not dead. You know, potentially down the line, maybe, but who knows? It was it wasn't that case. Related to that, I wanted to kind of get into like, you know, we discussed the framing stuff again. 
And in this one, like, you know, we've got this kind of framing of Nora and the timey wiminess of like her already being back in Jonah's, you know, studio and then retelling this event. This issue is kind of like doubling down on that, but it also kind of seems to be skipping around in time. And I found it a lot more effortless than the previous issue, but I also still think it's it it stands to confuse the narrative a little bit. I had to do extra work to figure out when things were happening, even like the opening with the kind of lightning storm and stuff. I like by the end of the issue, I was like, I'm not quite sure where and when that is happening. I think it both can help and hinder uh, Nick's storytelling. This is definitely an improvement from the last issue. And then I think the issue two before that one, which was a little confusing in, in how it was structured and, and it's linear or lack of linear quality. So this was, this was I think this was more linear, even though it does jump around a little bit. You know, I, for me, that where where the narrative suffers a lot is, I mean, we are just like barely with Peter in this comic again. I mean, this is just another one of these stories where it's the amazing Spider-Man and he feels like a tertiary character in his own story. And I, I, I just don't get why we keep doing this. I mean, you know, we're trying to kind of develop not only what the Sin Eater's plan is, but also kind of the public's reaction to it. And, and you know, I guess this is kind of a good time for a story like this to bring in the media as a character and, and, and Jonah. And we kind of have a moment of, you know, I always like these uh, Jonah actually having some principles for a change, <laughs> uh, you know, like even though he, <laughs> even though he's kind of the, 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 the OG of the uh, lack of principle journalist uh, in terms of sensational. I mean, you know, he, he predates uh, some of the others of today for sure. You know, when he kind of gets to stand up and be like, wait, no, even I think this is a little crazy serving as the voice of reason. But where's Peter? I mean, we get we get little glimpses of him here and there. This feels like it's the amazing Sin Eater. As a whole, the story suffers as a result. I mean, I know we want to know what our villains are doing and what they're thinking. But like I I still subscribe to this book because I want to know what Spider-Man's doing first and foremost. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think like the majority of the stuff that we get with Spider-Man here is like a, a really decent action scene. And I do think that there are some interesting character moments about kind of drilling into Spider-Man's mind in regards to what he thinks the Sin Eater is doing. Like he actually seems almost like the antagonist in this story because the Sin Eater does seem to be doing something ostensibly good good, if you will. But you're right that it, it, it seems more about the characters around Spider-Man than Spider-Man himself. And it, it is it is troubling because I, I do feel like I'm a little confused about how I'm supposed to feel about Spider-Man's take on the Sin Eater because I haven't really been placed in his mindset. Like it, he's skeptical, but is he working through this? Like, I don't know how he is struggling with this feeling of, because uh, like to, in my mind, he is like, he's skeptical because he thinks that curing them isn't really the end goal, that there's like a, another thing after that, which I think is ultimately like that these characters might commit suicide because they're so plagued by their guilty consciences. But like, we haven't said that directly. So it's hard for me to really invest in what Spider-Man is thinking. And 
the Sin Eater isn't really taking any kind of real action against Spider-Man because he's kind of said that Kindred is going to come and deal with him. So there's no stakes involving Spider-Man in this at all. He feels like safe through all of this. And you, know, you get like things like like Nora, you know, but like cheating on that a couple times and cheating on the overdrive thing. Like, I don't know that people are actually like in mortal peril here, especially Spider-Man. So it feels a little toothless at the moment. Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. But what, let's not beat around the bush. So what is what is the Sin Eaters plan here? Because I think that that kind of sets up why Peter slash Spider-Man is in this weird kind of passive conundrum because that's the thing like he, he's got a very definitive plan I guess we're you know in terms of what's Spider-Man thinking what's he processing you know it, it, it's I think there there is a little bit of a tell here in terms of maybe some possible political leanings of the people uh, behind this comic right now that are maybe being like well yeah this is what's happening but of course Spider-Man is not for it because the parallels to real life seem to indicate that the people who do are doing what the sin eater are doing are bad. And I think that's where, you know, not saying I agree or disagree with that, but I think that's kind of where the story is kind of on a house of cards right now, because it's, it's, it's making big leaps with the ability of the audience to process the information the way I think Nick Spencer is processing this information and thus putting it down. So what is, what is the sin eaters plan, Dan? Well, that I'm not entirely sure of. It seems to be on the surface that he is empowering all of these people to help him, like, cleanse the sin of the world. As they've seen him doing through his kind of, like, social media message that Nora pipes out to everybody. And they want, they're empowered to kind of, like, rid these villains of their powers and make them into good people in their eyes. You know, and it, and it's kind of seizing upon like this kind of like long simmering anger that the population of New York has towards these characters that destroy their lives, their homes, you know, and everything, every other issue of a comic, you know, uh, and it makes sense, you know, like I would be angry too. like get the hell out of New York. I just want to enjoy my expensive real estate, you know, without it being destroyed every other page. And, you know, for me, it's like that's totally relatable. I, I understand that. And, you know, it may be delivered at the end of a shotgun with a ski mask on. And that's certainly terrifying. But there does seem to be like legitimate understanding behind it, which is why the kind of like uh, political parallelism is weird to me. And it just might be because I'm biased. And I'll say like I'm a flat out like bleeding heart liberal, you know, and I can't help but like read both the Sin Eater speech and Carly's speech as direct nods to Trump and Trump supporters. The idea of like empowering people and using their power and, you know, people, then there's references to like people taking a knee and those who kneels and there's invocations of like elites. Um, and to me, this is like straight out of like Trump language playbook how did you respond i mean yeah there's definitely like an us and them quality to it that that plays straight into trumpism right now kind of a drain the swamp kind of situation but there's also kind of a a a law and order fascism behind it too it's 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 not just it's it's not just 
like on the surface, it's like, hey, we're we're for law and order. Great. You know, like like, you know, these people are destroying our communities, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Great. You know, like like that's bad. That's bad. So what what's Spider-Man's problem? Yeah. But the way we're going to solve the problem is we are, we are literally going to absorb their power and 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 decimate them at their core and, and take away who they are and just completely destroy them without without physically putting them in the earth and killing them. I mean, but it's like it's just taking everything that they have and claiming it for themselves. I mean, that's just pure fascism right, right there. I share the same ideological bent as you do, Dan, but just in an effort to try and, you know, not alienate listeners per se. I mean, it's like it's a huge leap because I'm saying it, it, there's a fascism to it, but, you know, are we are, who's the fascist right now, I guess, is, is kind of where this is all coming, especially right now in terms of everything that's going on in terms of protests and, and, and politics and responses to public health crises and what have you. I feel that that the writer here is taking a certain bent and in making Spider-Man passive, he's he's making an assumption in terms of. Like, well, of course, Spider-Man isn't for this because this is bad, but but it's not but he's not really outlining totally why it's bad. It's just we're saying it's bad because it's bad because these people are saying bad things that other people who are bad are saying in real life right now. I think that's really where the story is. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading it philosophically. There's something to it, but from a from a writerly structure standpoint, it's missing something because I feel like Spencer is not doing a good enough job on on kind of the surface of explaining what what is truly at stake here and where the sides are. I'm curious to see if that's by design or not. I mean, there's a version of this where we're meant to look at Spider-Man. You know, there's all the whole fascism of superheroes and the idea that he knows what's right and that like both these groups are going to have great power, right? Because you have, you know, the Sin Eater saying, you know, I'm giving you power as like emblemized by the handing over of a mask, right? To all these people, like there's the idea of everybody has power and is, you know, whether they use it responsibly or not. And that kind of like spider island trope. And I, you know, I wonder if this story will ultimately come down to like getting us to question Spider-Man in a way. And I feel like that was true of the Sin Eater sequel, the return of the Sin Eater, where like Spider-Man was kind of prejudiced against Stan Carter. And that kind of, I think in a way drove him to take the kind of suicidal action that he took. And I, I wonder if we're wading back into that territory, which is like everybody is calling each other fascists and really we should be somewhere in the middle where like, you know, there, there are, there's something good to what Sin Eater is doing, you know, and maybe something bad to what Spider-Man is doing and vice versa. I'm curious to see if that like, you know, will ultimately kind of find its way out in design uh, rather than just us saying that we're confused. But it does make this issue kind of like confused because you don't really quite feel like you know where, where Spider-Man is coming at here. But seeing images like the literal you know panel of Sin Eater handing over masks to his followers to me suggests that like we're going to get into the weeds here about like what does it mean to wear a mask and to have power in that way. And that's a classic Spider-Man trope. 
it's putting on a uniform to rep, you know kind of represent which team you're on in this war of good and evil and also Dan I can't help but think I'm drawing parallels again to another Nick Spencer story not a Spider-Man one but um the one you know he recently did with for Captain America Secret Empire and you know it's just making me wonder you know we were talking last time around about maybe he was going back to the well a la hunted for some themes and tropes it, it seems to twist and turn every issue in terms of w- which well spencer is going to but now the well seems to be the secret empire well in terms of some of these parallels and and you know the, the kind of what what people who feel disenfranchised are willing to do and how they're willing to align themselves and and fall into line behind somebody if they feel that they've been pushed down far enough which is what we're getting with like the sin eaters followers right now and it's i mean it's it's interesting but again as someone who read secret empire and i like secret empire a lot you know i know that's that's apparently a controversial statement but it's like i don't know if i was necessarily looking to have it revisited in the pages of spider-man i don't know am i do, do you see what i'm saying with the with the parallels there or do you feel that's a bit of a reach i don't think it's a bit of a reach i mean i i think it's tough it's interesting that this story was written probably six months ago well before like covid and all that stuff and you know and in the meantime we've had these you know major race riots and conversations around the country about like law enforcement and the role of law enforcement and you get this interesting scene with carly where you have the police going into the hospital room to kind of kill overdrive this you know black man you know that has been recently resurrected like it it it's i mean the thing is none of these things are new for our country it's we, it takes weirdly stronger prominence in this issue given the timing of its eventual release. So I find that stuff really interesting. And again, it's like, can you trust the cops? I, I thought that scene was curious because you've got this cop that's ostensibly telling Carly, your father was a good man, but you know he did bad things. And then the cop is just going off to like be like, and, you know, just continue that line of of wickedness. And I thought that was really interesting to kind of put Carly in that situation and handled in an interesting way with having that kind of attempted murder off screen or off panel, if you will. What do you think about that moment? It was very disturbing for sure. Um, I mean, it kind, of, it kind of surprised me, but there's a currency to it, but also there's nothing new about it. We're playing within the sandbox of corrupt law enforcement both with Stan but also Carly's father so like it 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 all ties in not to cheat and and start making suggestions related to Kindred but I can't help but see all these like law enforcement and NYPD allusions here and think about all the times we saw Lookout which is a clear reference to the death of Captain George Stacy and wonder if that's all going to pay off in some way, because it feels like we're now like it's very interesting in this story that seems to be a crescendo to whatever kindred's going to be revealed that we're we're playing in this realm of law enforcement and police, which always has a very specific kind of bent when it comes to Spider-Man in terms of who the, the main players are. Well, that's the big thing is like for me, in my mind, when I think about kindred is like I'm trying to square how Captain Stacy and the marriage are related. These two completely ostensibly separate things that never had anything to do with each other. Like, what is it that they share in common? And whatever that intersection is, to me, is where Kindred 
fits in because you've got this story about law and order, like you're saying, and the lookouts and the marriage stuff that's going on. There's some intersection between those two that I haven't quite figured out yet. And you're right. I think, I think kindred falls in line somewhere around there. So, you know, we've got the senator like cleansing these people and gathering this army. Another interesting moment. There's this like masked figure that presents itself to you know, the sin eater and asked to be cleansed and says, quote, I've tried to get rid of this thing inside of me for so many years. I've hurt and killed so many. Please, if you really can ostensibly, I guess, cleanse them, you know, and the face is deliberately obscured, you know, classic Spider-Man mystery style. Did this bring anyone to mind for you? Like who would be asking to be cleansed of killing and hurting so many people. I mean, initially I was thinking maybe like Norman Osborn, but then we kind of had that payoff at the end with him that, you know, they're coming for him next. So probably, or maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's, maybe it's Norman. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's always like when it comes to Spider-Man characters with a self-awareness to kind of beg for forgiveness, I would think of someone like him. I mean, maybe Otto, but yeah. I don't think we're going to bring that into it, at the, bring him into it at this stage. Like, I mean, at least Osborne has kind of been involved on a couple of different levels so far. Could it be Harry? Could it be Harry? Maybe. He might actually be seeking forgiveness. Although the, the Norman thing is interesting, right? If ostensibly Sin Eater steals your powers, if he were to kill Norman with that shotgun, would he absorb his strength, but also his madness? Right. That could be a way for him to cure himself of the goblin in some way. More on that later. I, I actually don't have a good guess as to who this is. I was running my brain about like who of Spider-Man's villains would like offer themselves up as like a murderer, so to speak. And like who has been involved in the Kindred storyline. And the best guess I could come up with was Kurt Connors because you know, he would want to absolve himself of his sins. And if he was to be cleansed, maybe it's a way to finally get rid of the lizard once and for all. That's my best guess is that like he Connors is trying to cheat the system and use the sin eater because he's been a big player, you know, in Spencer's storyline so far. That's a good guess, too. And in terms of the visual, it's just a shrouded face, right? We don't see any physical profile or anything right right and you know you you'd want to look for the half arm but like throughout this run connor's has been depicted as having two full full arms for whatever reason i i've called him out on being inaccurate about it but that's been consistent through this run so anyway my best guess is that it's kurt connor's that's a good one i like that do you want to talk about Ferrara's art at all, or is there something else plot-wise you want to get into? Sorry, I don't. I don't want to jump around on you, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a jump around kind of issue for me. The artwork is, I think, really solid. I mean, I want you know Bagley back again, but I like how Ferrara's art really moves. I mean, the pages are dramatic and the action is splashy. You know, the colors are kind of like a suitably like muted David Curiel, who's actually doing a commission for us right now this weekend. You know, he's kind of given this this kind of like subdued, haunting, grounded artwork or art, art coloring. So I thought it was a, a beautiful looking issue. You know, it's hard to measure up against a classic like Bagley, but 
it, it, it exists strongly. It's it's funny. I was going to say this kind of evokes Giuseppe Comancoli when we felt that Comancoli was doing work for Spider-Man that kind of belonged in Batman. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's kind of got that Arkham Asylum vibe to it in terms of this, like the the darkness and the mental kind of unnervingness of of the story itself and how the art kind of matches that. Not that it's like totally trippy or anything like that, but like, you know, like this, this feels like a comic or it feels visually like a comic about a serial killer. If that makes sense, like I feel, yeah, it, it it feels it feels very true to that. Like we're not, and as much as I love Bagley, I don't know if his work kind of evoked that as much as as this did. Not saying one's better than the other. I like Bagley a lot, but like this feels tonally more aligned with this idea of just kind of like you know true crime story. <laughs> it's kind of like like you know when you get the darker version of Mike Zek. Like, you know, you get some really heavy shadows and I love how they play with like the Sin Eater's, you know, face being completely, you know, in shadow. I mean, yeah, it's got to that Batman feel for sure. It's a, it's a good observation. I guess the last big plot beat here is to talk about that we've got the kind of culmination of this like thunderstorm and the Sin Eater is coming after Norman Osborn uh, there at the end. You make anything of this? Just that we know we're getting a Green Goblin story coming up in a couple of issues and we got to get Norman involved. I mean, you know, I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. I mean, I think we're just moving the chess pieces around to kind of set us up for that personally. I suspect uh, and I'm going to say something crazy. I think that issue 850 is a Spider-Man Green Goblin team up issue. I think they've been advertising it as a, as a battle, but I think Spider-Man is going to be defending Norman Osborn for once. And that's the twist on it. And the ultimate resolution of this story will be, will he allow the sin eater to cleanse Norman of his madness and erase the green goblin from existence, which would be the kind of the opposite of hunted, right? And hunted, he like let the lizard out and risked like, you know, the humanity of Kirk Connors to, you know, he believed in it. But the question is, like, does he believe in a villain enough like Sin Eater to not kill Norman, but to cleanse him? That That's where I think this is headed. Right. If I had to take a big guess. Right. And this Norman's is Norman's evil. So overwhelming that, you know, he can't he can't be cleansed without being killed. You know what I mean? Or something like that. I, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, we'll be curious to see. I think there's, you know, like, uh, he's not going to do just a standard, like, brawl between the two of them. I think, like, you know, ultimately it's headed somewhere. And if I take a guess, that's where I think it's headed, which I think sounds kind of interesting. You know me, I'm not that eager to read another Kill Code story. But if it's a way to move the goblin into new territory and not just repeating the same kind of, like, Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin, maybe this is a way to actually bring... Norman Osborn back into the main cast of the book and get rid of all of that like baggage that he's had forever. He can actually truly have a clean bill of sanity for once. But now I'm just projecting and that's not fair. So how dare you, um, Dan? Well, very cool. Mark, what grade do you want to give this? I'm going to give it a C plus, which probably sounds lower than it should be. But I, I mean, like I said, this this feels like a step in the right direction, but like, you know, there's still some still some of these things going on that I'm not totally jazzed about. But I'm still curious about where the story is going. So I mean, I'm more intrigued than I was last issue, but 
still wish that Spencer can clean up some of these narrative issues and 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 just put Spider-Man put the put make Spider-Man assertive, man. Stop with the passive Spider-Man. Anyway, C plus you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a solid B. Okay. Uh, I, I I like this issue, and I think the developments with like Overdrive and the thematic stuff is working for me. You're right. I want more Spider-Man. That's what would put it back up at the top. It's as simple as giving him the narrative thrust. I feel like the table is set. We've got what? How many more issues in this thing? I think two. Three more issues two or in three. the story. Yeah. Yeah. For a halfway point, I'm like, okay, but like if next issue it's not back in the driver's seat with Spider-Man, Mark Bagley style or whatever, I'm going to be really disappointed. It's not a coincidence, Dan, that our favorite issue of this arc so far is the one where Spider-Man is front and center. <laughs> it's why we do the show, Mark. I know, I know, like but, it's, but, it, but like you said, it's really that simple. It's just like, tell the story from his perspective. I want, I want to be in Peter's head. We're at the point we get the we get what Stan, or I mean I don't know if we get what Stan Carter is doing, but enough of that groundwork has been laid. We now need to be squarely in Peter's brain to figure out where we go from here and where the crisis and the conflict is. And like you said, what are the stakes? Because there don't seem to be stakes right now. Like he, Peter is not in danger, and neither are any of these characters truly in danger. So, so what am I supposed to get upset about? Right. Something needs to happen with the people in the mental institution, whether it, like what's the next stage of them. They're feeling this guilt. They're going crazy about Norman Osborn. Like what is the next stages? Are they going to start killing themselves? Like, like, you know, what is it that's going to propel Spider-Man into action? And like, if the cover is to, of this issue is to be believed, there's something entirely different going on. Like, what was this cover of these like demon figures like surrounding Spider-Man in the Sin Eater? I want to know what the hell that's about. Is it thematic? <laughs> it, it looks like the scene uh, like, from like the latest indie Nintendo Switch game or something. I mean, you know, like like a download only game. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant looking cover, like uh, beautifully illustrated. But like, what what even is that? So like, if that's where the story is going, like pull the trigger on that quickly because I want to know what the hell that is. All right. Well, cool. You know, this is a fun conversation. I think we're just kind of waiting out this story. I mean, I got to say, I'm, you know, it's not my favorite issues, but I'm more turned on by this arc than I have been with this book for quite some time. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm, I am there with you. I just need a, a little more of a push to kind of move those grades up a little further. Yeah. All right, Mark, why don't you take us home? I will. I will. Well, alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on this live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until the Sin Eater and his henchmen start a K-pop band, what is our credo? That, that, that is a perfect lead-in, Dan. Uh, of course, it is. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't miss the next installment.
Jesus.